Good morning. You ready to take a free ride? <laughs> Todd, will you bring me the clicker, please? It's terrible. Already starting off bad, guys. But <laughs> good morning. Hi, Randy. I got this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, look, look, there we go. We got it. All right. So um, those of you that were expecting to see Randy this morning, I'm sorry. Um, he'll be here next week. So if you have any problems, you can just take it up with him next week. <laughs> How to be okay. Either way. Um, just want to say that I'm uh, so glad to get to share with you this morning. Um, it's been quite a while, actually, since I've been up here, been able to share with you guys a little over a year. And I'm, I'm so if I have a lot to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Got to get it all out at one time. But um, just want to introduce myself to some of you that don't know me. I'm My name is Larry. You know, I'm actually a little known fact. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, I know a lot of people see me in the kids and then been used and running around like crazy. But that is actually, that's, 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 I guess, my job title, I guess. I mean, I'm the associate pastor, so that means I'm the associate to Randy. I'm the associate to Kids Church. I'm the associate in the sound booth. Whatever, whatever it is. But uh, that's me. And, I, and I, I love being able to do that, where I can jump in and fill in wherever I'm needed, wherever there's a hole and an, an opportunity for me to serve. And that's just an amazing opportunity that I get to have and just to help wherever there is a need. Amen? So, so that was a little plug for some of y'all as well. So there's there's always a, some needs around here, um, <laughs> whether it be in the kids' church, the sound booth, or whatever it might be, there's always an opportunity for to serve. So if you feel like serving and you feel like God is calling you to serve, come and serve. Okay? Amen? All right. So um, just to continue to introduce myself a little bit, um, I have been here since the beginning. I don't know if Randy and Jessica wanted us to come. I, I'm not sure, but we came and we're here and we've been here since the beginning, a um, little over three years now. Um, and my wonderful wife, Stacy is the children's pastor. And I, I've had, like I said, I've had many different roles here and doing different things. And it's been a great three years. So I'm looking forward to what um, God is going to do next. Not not that I'm not, not saying that I'm leaving or anything. That's not what I'm saying, but what God's got to do in the next three years. Uh, I keep saying three years because it's been a little bit of a stretch for, for Stacy and I, because we were, we were missionaries for quite a while and we were so used to traveling and, and never being in one spot for very long. So we used to call it, we were permanently temporary. So we would be here for months or you know six months, a year, blah, blah, blah whatever, we'd be back and forth. So it's really, it's been kind of crazy because we've been here for three years and we've been here in New Braunfels. We love New Braunfels. That's the, we're not trying to go anywhere, but it's just been kind of um, interesting that the, that the dynamic that it has brought us and, and, and our family and the things that are going on, it's been great. We love serving you guys and being alongside and, and seeing you grow as well. Um, so I forgot one announcement though, I'm sorry. Right after second service, there was a, there was a slide up there, but it, um, we're having a prayer team meeting in second right after this this service at twelve thirty. It's gonna be about thirty minutes. That's for people who are currently on the prayer team and anybody that wants to join in that in the prayer team. The prayer team is like 
is so vital for the function and what is going on here at life. Um, they are praying for you guys. They're praying for the church. They're praying for the leaders. It is just an amazing opportunity just to get to serve. And you're not even in, you know, you don't have to be out in front. You don't have to be teaching kids or anything like that, but it's just an amazing opportunity to serve your church and serve the kingdom. So if that's not something you want to be a part of, hang out for a little bit right after service and it's going to be going to be great. Okay. All right. Um, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to get to share the word of God. It's been, a, like I said, it's been a little while since I've been up here sharing with you, but been sharing with the youth and the kids and, and many different areas and in life groups and things like that. But this is one of the places that I enjoy the most is being able to share the word of God and just getting to preach the word. It's just, it's so fun. And, and you know, those of you that have done it, you, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you're, you're get a little nervous and scared and speaking in front of people, but once you get going, it's just, it's amazing. And it's, it's so fun. And so if I get to where I'm sounding like I'm a little excited, it's probably because I, I, I am. And um, just, to, hey, slow down a little bit. <laughs> so y'all just, just got to listen faster. That's what it is. And, you know, I keep hearing people say, oh, it's cold, it's cold. You just got to worship harder and you got to listen harder. You know, warm, warm up a little bit, okay? <laughs> so, but carrying on, um, quick question for you. Have you ever been amazed by God? Yes, it's like, it is incredible when you just have to step back sometimes and you're just like, you know, like when you're at the fireworks and you're, boom. Ah, that's how I, I am most of the time with God is just, he just absolutely amazes me. And I don't know why I don't know, you know, it's I'm looking around and just looking to see what he's doing in my life and looking around and seeing what's going on in the world and what he's doing in your guy's life. And I just get amazed. So if that's not something that has happened to you yet, just be prepared and be looking for it. Be looking for opportunities to be amazed by God because once you see him and how amazing he is, you're going to continue to see that more and more and more till where you are amazed by God on a daily basis. And that is, it's just incredible when you get to see him working and you see him working in your life and your, and your, and your spouse's life and, and your kid's life and just seeing how God is working in their, in their lives and working through them. You just gotta, sometimes you gotta step back a little bit and be like, so if you've been amazed by God, let me ask you this one. Have you ever put God in a box? Mm. So we were like, okay, I need you to stay here for a little bit. I'll be back, but I'm gonna, I gotta go over here and I gotta do this, whatever it may be. And I believe at some point in every one of our lives, we put God in a box that we're, we're trying to, maybe not intentionally, but somewhat separate ourselves from him and just like, okay, you can't be in this part of my life. Like so many times we're thinking, oh, when I go to work, I can't be a Christian or I'm different when I go to work. So I got to put him in the box and he can stay there and then I'll come back. So, and I know ladies, you, you, you might not understand this as much as guys. So we have this box in our brains. Our brains don't work the same, right? We agree, right? <laughs> Husbands, I know you, you are in 100% agreement. Our brains don't work the same. So we have this box called the nothing box that we can go to this place 
and we just that's the only box we're in and um stacy's like hey what are you doing nothing what are you thinking about nothing really you can do that all the time <laughs> and then our boxes that you know we have one box we're in that box we close that box up get it all tidy put it away then we go to the next box we open that box, you know, whether it's the fishing box or the the toolbox or whatever whatever it might be, then we clean that, we finish what we're doing, we put that in, put it away, then we move on to the, the like we like to go back to that nothing box. That's where we <laughs> like to go back to, but ladies, you're you're in all the boxes all at one time. Or at least at least Stacy is. I just she is all in like a thousand different boxes going on at one time. I kinda understand how she feels this morning because I'm in a hundred different boxes right now today, but yeah. But if we, when we put God in a box, what we're doing is we're limiting him, his ability, his power, his, the opportunity that he has to work in your life. So when we put him in that box and we close him up and we put him to the side and you, you've, you've left him there and he's not going to come out of the box until you let him back out. And I, so I believe that all of us at some point in time in our life have put God in a box and like, I'll come back. I'll come back to you. So there's one person I believe that maybe if he did put God in a box, it was maybe for a brief period of time. But King David um, never really put God in a box. When you, when you read out his life, and he had a pretty good understanding of who God was. And uh, he might have messed up, right? You know, if, if you read the life of David, uh, he messed up quite a bit. And, um, but he was described as a man after God's own heart. That's amazing. He was a man that in his flaws and his roughness and in his life that he lived as a man of war and as a, you know, a soldier and all these kind of different things, he was always wanting to do what God has called him to do. So I don't believe that he ever really put God in a box. And this is one of the reasons why David is one of my favorite biblical characters, because I can relate to him so much, because I try and I try and I, and I want to do what God has called me to do. And I'm always trying to seek after him and to pursue him and to, to get closer to him. But there's times when I miss it. But then I remember, oh, yeah, it's okay. King David missed it, but yet. He was still a man after God's own heart. He had a heart that just wanted to serve God. He just wanted to love on God and to, to worship him and just to um, do whatever he's called him to do. And if you've read in uh, the Psalms, and it's just like David just writing his out his prayers and writing out his um, adoration for God and just how he is worshiping him um, through song and poetry. And it's just so amazing to read the Psalms of David because he didn't write all of them, but he wrote most of them. But when, so when you, you're reading and, and you're seeing all of the things that, that David is talking about and just how amazing it is to see God through someone else's eyes. I don't know if you've ever took time to, to do that a little bit and just sit back and just allow to see what God is doing through other people. That when, like So a lot of times when we're in small groups or our life groups and and I get to sit back and to listen to what God is doing in other people. It's just, 
it blows me away. It's just so exciting to see what God is doing. Because, I mean, I know what he's doing in my life, but I, I like to see what he's doing in other people's life. And that's what I, when I read the Psalms, and that's what I, that's what I see, is what God is doing in King David and the other author's life. But if you read um, the Psalms of David, you can see how his understanding of God, who God is. So the thing is, is David didn't have the Bible that we have, right? He had maybe a few books, maybe at least the first five books, but he didn't have really anything after that. He didn't have the story of David. He didn't have the, the story of Jesus. He didn't have the story of, of how they um, or just of the exiles and all and then how God brought all of his people back and all of this. He didn't have those stories, but yet he still had an amazing understanding of who God was. Um, I think and then just how he just poured out, how he just talked so greatly about God. And I think one of the best um, places that he does that, one of the best chapters in Psalms is Psalms 139. Um, we talked to David, or not, Randy said last week that, hey, Larry's going to be speaking about Psalms 139. I was like, oh, well, I guess I kind of have to now. And I'm just kidding. That was the plan, the plan the whole time. But, but I was thinking, I'm glad uh, God didn't change my mind in the middle of the week. You know, you ever, you ever had God do that where you change your mind in the, in the middle of something? Um, but I think Psalms 139 is probably the best um, display of that. David expresses some of the most amazing attributes of God and some really big theological ideas just in that small 24, 24 verse chapter. And just it just absolutely blows me away. What, the way that he describes God, the way he talks about how God is working in his life. Um, so if it's okay with you, I would like to walk through that and see what we can learn from from Psalms 139, but it's one of those questions where I really don't have a choice. I'm asking just to be nice, just giving everyone the opportunity to give them the fair warning that that's where we're going and it's it's going to be great. It's uh, I just really, really love what God is going to be doing through this, through, through our time together. But before we get into the Word of God, I just want to take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for the opportunity just to be here to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you just open up our hearts and open up our ears to receive your word. God, I pray that the words that I speak, they're not my words, but they are your words. I pray that, that you just have your way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get into it. Psalms 139. So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to, I've broken this up into sections and where how we can um, learn some, some big truths from each one of these sections. So we'll start in verse 1, at 1 through 6, O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Listen to that one again. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. So maybe we should watch what we say. I'm just throwing that out there. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. God knows everything. Think about that for a second. God knows everything. Say it again. 
because I don't, I don't, I don't think y'all were as amazed as I am. God knows everything, and God's knowledge is not limited by anything. We, we as people, we are limited. Our knowledge is limited by our our experience, our time, what we've been taught, what we have discovered. You know, sometimes you try something. Oh, that doesn't work. Maybe I shouldn't do that again. But God is not limited by that. Like, um, so when we are teenagers, or if you are a teenager, you this is probably true for every one of us in here. You thought or you think that you know everything. <laughs> yeah, I heard that the parents a little, a little too much of an amen. There was a hearty amen there. But think about it back when you were a teenager and just how you thought that you knew everything. You thought you had the answer for everything. But unlike us who don't have the answers for everything or don't know everything, God does. God knows everything. His knowledge is not limited to anything. And that's amazing in itself. But what I think is a little bit more important to me is God knowing everything is the fact that he knows you. He knows you. He doesn't just know the the world. He doesn't just know everything, but he chooses to know you. Out of 8 billion people in the world right now, or even this, out of the approximately 117 billion people that have ever lived... He chooses to know you. He chooses to know you. I heard it kind of explained this way um, a little while ago in talking about how God, when he chooses to know you, he chooses to know you, and he gives you 100% of his attention. You, 100% of his attention. And, and I know if you, those of you that have more than one kid, you know how hard that is? To give your uh, 100% attention to one of your children at the same time. But God is capable of knowing you and giving you 100% of his attention 100% of the time. That is just absolutely mind-blowing. The fact that out of 8 billion people, he knows me. He, he knows everything about me. He knows every hair or every lack of hair on our head. Hi, Mo. <laughs> he knows you and he knows everything about you. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows that you love chocolate cake or in my case, hate chocolate cake. He knows the fact that you, he knows that you love the color green. But he knows you and he chooses to know you. But it is so easy for us to think that God doesn't know me. Maybe that you think that I am too small or I'm not important enough or I'm not good enough for God to know me. But he does. He chooses to know you. He chooses to know his children. I'm a father of three. I know my children very well. I know that they drive me crazy. They, that they love doing the things that they love to do. But I don't know everything about them. My knowledge is limited 
to the time that I put into it. God's not limited by time. And he chooses to know you. We're never too small. Our problems are never too small to be known by God. We're always important. The prodigal son. Y'all familiar with this story? The prodigal son. We all know this. We know the story of how he, the younger son, came and wanted his inheritance and he wanted to go and to live his life. So he comes to his father and says, give me what is owed to me and I'm, I'm out. So he goes and he squanders all of his money. I mean, he gets all of his, excuse me, all of his riches and he, and he spends them all and then he becomes broke, right? So becomes a servant and he's feeding the pigs, which the Jewish people didn't like pigs. So that was, he'd reached the low of the low. He had reached the bottom, and he said, oh, wait a minute. The servants in my father's house eat better than this. I'll go be a servant since I've lost my right to be a son. I'll go and be a servant in my father's house. So remember, he's so far away, so I can see him. He's rehearsing. Oh, he had, Dad, I, I've lost the right to be a son in your house. So can I just be a servant? This is what he's rehearsing on the way. You know, he's, oh, no, no, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I'll say this. So, but, so he's got a long way to get there. But So the crazy thing about the father is the father saw him from a very long way off. And the father knew his son so well that he saw the son coming. He said, that's my son. And he takes off. And he runs to his son and he embraces him. A little bit about the Jewish culture at the time. And, you know, they wore their robes and their gowns and all this. And they wore the, the Jesus flip-flops or sandals that have made a comeback these days. Or, you know, ladies, you know how hard it is to run in a dress and flip-flop. And Jewish men, older Jewish men, did not run. It was just part of the culture. They did not run. But yet he got off the porch or from wherever he was at, he sees his son and he takes off running because he knows that's my son. That's my son. So there's times in our life when we become like that prodigal son where we begin to walk away from God and then there comes a moment when we're like, what am I doing? The servants in my father's house live a better life than this. And we turn around. When we turn around, God says, that's my son. That's my daughter. And he takes off. And he begins to run to you. He doesn't just sit there with open arms saying, I'm here. He doesn't just meet you halfway, but he runs after you and he meets you where you're at. That is the amazing thing about God knowing you. When God knows you, we don't have to go be a servant in his house because we are children. We are his sons and daughters. 
And no matter how many times we leave, he's always ready to return or for our return and for, for him to run and to embrace us. So I know when my kid, when I come home a lot of times from work, my, if my kids don't know that I'm home or didn't see me coming through the door, or didn't hear me, I'll just walk in and, you know, I'll put my stuff down or whatever. And then they see me. And then they come running and then I just get to embrace them. And as a earthly father, I know the joy that that brings to my heart. But when your father, who knows you better than yourself, knows when you're traveling, knows when you're sitting down, knows when the words that you're going to say before you say them. When you run and embrace him, there's no greater joy. Amen? No greater joy than that. So I encourage you, know that you are known by God. doesn't matter what you have done in your past. You know, so many times we think our past can affect everything. Our past, our past. Well, I did this in my past. I can't do that. Now, God is there and he's waiting for you. Verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, to you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. God is everywhere. There's no place that you can go that God is not there. David says, even to the grave, you are there. If I go up to heaven, you are there. Even if I try to hide myself in darkness, you are there. The night or day doesn't make any difference to him because he is there. Does it matter if you're at home, if you're at work, you're at school, you're at the grocery store, you're at church? God is there. Have you ever tried to hide from him? Ever tried to hide from him? Like, really? So God is the grand champion of hide and seek. He will find you every single time. It doesn't matter if you try to surround yourself with such garbage that he can't see into the darkness. No, he's there. Or you ever thought, well, he can't see me here? Like you're trying to hide behind something or somebody? He can't see me here. No, there's no way he can see me here. He can't see what I'm doing in this moment. He can't see me. But he's right there with you. Is there anywhere that we can run from his presence? There are many, 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 many people that have tried. Many of you have tried 
There's many people in the Bible that have tried, and we get to read about their stories. So it doesn't take very long. Adam and Eve, right in the beginning, we've been trying to hide from God since the beginning of time. But how well did it go for them? So we see in Genesis chapter 3, right, they've eaten the fruit, Adam and Eve, Eve and Adam, however you want to say it, they have eaten the fruit, and they become aware, oh, we're naked. So they hear God coming in the cool of the day. I know right now there is no cool of the day going on in Texas. I know when we leave here sometimes at like 9, 10 o'clock at night, it's still in the high 90s. So I know there's no cool of the day. I'm looking for it. It, 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 when it comes, I'm going to be very grateful. So, but in the cool of the day, God would come and he would spend time with his children and he would talk with them and he would love on them and, and just spend time with them. So after they've eaten the fruit, they've decided to hide. They're hiding from God. From the place that he created. They were literally created by him, but yet they're trying to hide from him. He says, well, why are you hiding from me? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? And he, found, he finds them. <laughs> no matter how hard we try to hide our nakedness, our brokenness, our sin, he finds us. Or Jonah, Jonah and that big fish. So we, we see the story of Jonah as well and how God give it, gave a command to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell the, tell the people there about me. No, I don't want to do that. They're, they're, they're bad. They're mean. They, don't, they blaspheme you. They don't, they don't even know you. Why do you want me to go tell them about you? They're not going to receive what I have to say. Go tell them about me. So he jumps on a boat. It goes completely the other direction. I'm going to go this way. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, no, I'm not going to go. Nope, I'm not going that way. And then we see what happens when he tries to go away from the presence of God. The presence of God told him to go to Nineveh. Could you imagine me as a father? I tell my children, do this. Do this. Why? I told you to. That's what. <laughs> and they turn around and say, nope, I'm going to go do the opposite of what you tell me. And then they try to run and hide from me because they know they're going to get in trouble. But Jonah is trying to run and hide from what God has called him to do, what he's told him to do, but yet, he gets on the boat, and then the boat starts having trouble. They begin to start sinking and all this kind of stuff. And they they finally figured out it was Jonah that had disobeyed God. So they throw him overboard, and then the big the big fish eats him. And then I can imagine after spending three days in the belly of the fish that he was really glad to get to Nineveh. So he tried to go the other way, thinking that he would get away from God, get away from the presence of God, but yet he wound up where God had taught him to do in the first place. So the, uh, yes, there, a lot of times there's lessons to be learned in that journey, 
of disobedience that I've learned. I don't want to do this again. But if we, the blessing that it will come if we just follow through the first time. When we see God speaking to us, we see God asking to do us to do something, we just do it. We don't have to ask this question, well, how'd it go for him? How'd it go? How, how was that journey to get there when you could have just went straight there and have been all uh, nice, fun, and roses, and out, clean, not smelling like fish? <laughs> but it didn't go very well from him because he tried to hide from the presence of God, and the presence of God is literally everywhere. Everywhere. But see, on the flip side of, of the presence of God is everywhere. Then wherever I go, the presence of God is with me. So it doesn't matter the storm that I am facing in my life. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. The presence of God is there with me in the middle of the storm. I'm reminded of the disciples in Jesus as he is crossing. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee and the waves are coming and crashing. And, and Jesus, the, literally the living presence of God is right there with them. And they're, they're freaking out. Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Jesus, don't you, don't you care that we're going to drown? They're literally in the presence of God. So it doesn't matter the storm that we're going through. God is there with us to walk through that storm with us. If we look in the, look at the Old Testament and how when the Israelites left Egypt, they were guided by the presence of God. The fire by night and the cloud of smoke by day, that was literally the representation of the presence of God. And Moses says, I don't want to go anywhere that the presence of God doesn't, doesn't lead. Are you following the presence? I like to say a lot of times, I take the presence of God with me wherever I go. Even though he's already there, I know the Spirit of God lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit is with me. So wherever I'm going, the Holy Spirit's going with me. Just like that. Or in Joshua 1.9, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this is as they're preparing to go and to take the, the, the land that was promised to them. God is telling them, Don't you know I'm going with you? I'm already there. I'm already there. I'm just waiting on you to get, get with the program. I'm there waiting for you. The presence of God is everywhere. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, Jesus says to the, to the disciples, I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you. The presence of God is there. So knowing the fact that the presence of God is everywhere should give you peace, not worry. Knowing that the presence of God is right there with me, I can't hide from it because it's there. The presence of God is living on the inside of me. Knowing that it is there with me on a daily basis should give me peace, not worry. Because he knows me. He knows you. You are his child and he loves you. Verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together 
in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God created you. He created you. I'm not very familiar with knitting and sewing and all of that kind of stuff, but I can see as I read, I just get this image of, of God and his knitting needles knitting us together. He's putting our bones together and, and covering the bones with the muscles and the veins and the skin and our heart and our lungs and how he is putting us together from the moment of conception, God is there. From that very moment, he is there. So if God is there from the very beginning of our existence, because he created you. The crazy thing is, is we have a much greater understanding of how the human body works today than David ever did. But the crazy thing is, the more that we learn about the human body, the more in awe of its complexity we are. So I don't know, I didn't know this until fairly recently, your eye is so crazy and complex that it sees everything upside down. But your brain sees it, flips it upside down, so you see it right side up. That's crazy. Or your brain is, is, can compute more than any supercomputer could ever even think about. The human body is so complex, we really don't, I mean, we do, we understand, but we don't have the idea, we don't have a clue of how it really works. But I know this, God was there from the very beginning of it. He created me, he created you, he formed you in your mother's womb. Before your parents knew you, God was there knitting you together making that little blanket my grandma did knit me or my great grandma did knit me a blanket when I was a babe like before I was born so I've had this blanket since before I was born but the crazy thing about it is the comfort that that brought to me as a child doesn't compare to the comfort that I have as a grown man knowing the fact that God was there in the beginning and created me and created you. Not only did he create you, but he has a purpose for your life. Though that specific purpose might be different for each and every one of us in this room, there is a purpose for your life. And we all have specific purposes. That purpose is specific to you. But then we also have a general purpose as Christians, right? To love God, love others, Make disciples, as, as we say here. God has called each and every one of us to love and to worship him. To tell everyone that we come in contact with about him. That is a, a big purpose for your life. For my life. For the church, not just life church. But the church, the kingdom of God. We've been called to worship him, 
to love him, but also to be loved by him. Hello, wait. Amen. He has a purpose for your life, guys. And some of you might be thinking, well, what is that purpose? What is my purpose? Pray about it. He has a specific purpose for you, whether that to be a in the medical field, whether it to be in, in vocational ministry, whether that's to to whatever it might be, to be a teacher, to be um, a rock crusher. Like I, I feel like Fred, Fred Flintstone many days. I'm out there crushing, just crushing rock, crushing rock, crushing rock. But he's got a purpose for each and every one of us. Verse 19, oh God, if you only would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for the enemy or for your enemies are many. Search these, these probably these are these last two verses are literally my favorite verses. It's the entire chapter. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So David is wrapping up here, wrapping up the psalm with the condition of his society, that the condition of his society is not all that different from ours today. Full of wickedness, people who blaspheme God, people who say they, they don't, that God doesn't exist. They were enemies of God. So I don't know if he was just trying to warn us or trying to help us or what it, what it might be. But um, the thing is, is David's not hating these people in particular. He don't hate the people, but he hates what they're doing, how they are talking about God, how they are just completely against God. They talked, how they talked about him and um, the way that they were denying his sovereignty. There was, oh, he's just another one of the, just another God, just, just another idol. The way they denied his existence. David was telling, I hate the way that these people are living. I hate the way that these people are denying you. But what he's really doing, he's crying out to God to help him not become like those he is writing about. So in the very beginning, it talks about, God, you have searched me. You know me. You, you were there from the beginning. You created me in my mother's womb. You know everything about me. But I don't want to become like them. You know me better than I know myself. Please, please search my heart. Search my heart and reveal to me, show me where I'm missing it. Show me where the things that I need to get rid of. Show me the ungodliness that I need to get rid of. Like David had things in his life that, were, that was not pleasing to God, we need to allow God to search us. So I'm reminded of the gardener that Jesus is talking about in Luke 15. And how the, this is talking about how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And any of those branches that don't bear fruit, any of those branches that are withering away and they're dying, any of those things, when they, when they wither away and they die, they, they produce that in the vine. And he says, but the gardener comes in 
and he prunes. He cuts away those things that are not producing fruit. He cuts the branches, cuts them off, and throws them into the fire so that they don't exist anymore. There's things in our lives that do not need to exist in our lives anymore. He removes them, which allows the vine, the, the other branches to have the necessary nutrients that they need to produce the fruit that God has called them to produce. But there's, those things are, are robbing your nutrients. Those things are robbing your life. They're draining you. They're making you tired. They're making you do the things that you don't want to do. But see, David gave God permission. Because God's, remember, God's not just going to come out of the box unless you let him. When you give God permission to work in your life and to search your heart, that's why I, I'm, that verse 23 is just one of my favorite verses. <laughs> Search me, God. Search me. It is amazing what happens when you give God permission to work in your life. When you give him permission to, to speak to you, to reveal to you the things that you are doing that need to change. And what the great thing is, is when you ask him, he's going to tell you the good things too. He's not just going to say, oh, you're missing it here. You're, just, you're, you're doing so terrible here. But he's going to reveal you, to you the things that you're doing good. Hey, you're doing this great. You're really, you're, 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 you're killing it right here. But hey, let's come, let's come take a look at this for a second. Is this glorifying me? Is this bringing glory to me? Is what you're doing right here or this thing that you have in your life, is it drawing others close to me? If the answer is no, he's got his pruning shears. You know, they make these uh, battery-powered ones now that... I know some of us, we have those branches that have taken a deep hold in our lives and are holding us back from our full potential, holding us back from the purpose that God has called us to do. Allow God to come in and remove that. When you give him permission, he works miracles in your life. Give God permission this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives. We thank you for your word that is life to our, our souls, our spirits, our body. God, we just pray that as we walk out this week, that you will remind us of your word and what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you know us, that you are everywhere, that you've created us. We thank you for all of those things. But right now we ask that you search us. Rid our hearts of unrighteousness, ungodliness, and replace that with you. In Jesus' name, amen.